Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We have been examining for the past several weeks the Old Testament book of Judges. We've been looking at it under the heading, Can You Deliver? Can You Deliver? And we saw how God raised up a group of deliverers called Judges, a group of deliverers that were sent by God to set His people free from the oppression that was over them. Uh, the strongholds and the strangleholds that had dominated their lives. In the same way, God has called us to be deliverers as well. He called us, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You are my witnesses. He didn't say we might be, we could be. There's a good chance. He said, you are my witnesses. So if you have a personal relationship of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior life, you are a deliverer. You are a, a, a witness, you are a deliverer to what God has done in your life. But now you probably realize, as we've been going through this series, that it's really not so much the question, can you deliver? It's the question is, will you deliver? That's really the question we have to consider. And the Bible is clear that we are called to be witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is one that has eyewitness testimony to something that has happened in their life or something they experienced elsewhere. This is not secondhand information. It's not hearsay. It is personal testimony of something. What is that testimony that you have? You have a personal testimony of how God has delivered you from your sin and your disobedience and has set you free by the grace of God. You are a witness. And so God says, because you have experienced that, because you are an eyewitness of that in your own life, He says, now your job is to go out and be a witness to others of what you yourself know is true. You are a witness. So this morning, we're going to, matter of fact, before I say that, uh, D.J. Bonhoeffer said it this way as, as he was, you know, martyred for his faith. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls you, he calls you to come and die. He understood what that meant as he was martyred for his faith in a German prison by Adolf Hitler. He understood. In the same way, we are called to be witnesses. So today we look at Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 40, and we're going to look at some people that I think are an individual that I think probably defines many of us. He's a reluctant deliverer. He really doesn't want to do it. He's reluctant, but God is going to use him anyway. So as we, we're going to look at these words in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 40 under the heading, How to Know You Are a Deliverer. Now, you are a deliverer. I'm going to tell you how to know you are a deliverer. And the way you're going to know that you are a deliverer, you're going to answer three questions. And you're going to answer these three questions, and when you can answer those three questions in the appropriate way, you will know that you are a deliverer. The first question you ought to answer is, have you experienced God personally? Have you experienced God personally? I know, he's a pastor, that's a silly question. I mean, I'm here. Obviously, have I experienced God personally? He said, well, you know, bear with me a little bit, because this is the most important question. If you don't get this one down, guess what? The other two aren't going to matter. So we need to ask this question, have you experienced God personally? 
Gideon is the only judge, he's the only deliverer in the book of Judges that actually had a personal experience of God. All the other judges were called in another fashion, in another way. But listen to the call that God placed on Gideon in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abbey Ezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now notice that God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. This is the first time we've seen Gideon. This is the first time we've heard about Gideon. And when you look at Gideon, it doesn't quite look like he's a mighty warrior. I mean, look what he's doing. He's threshing wheat in a wine vat. Now, typically, when you thresh wheat, you do it out in the open. You throw it up in the air, and the wind blows away the chaff and the trash, and what comes down is the wheat. But he's in a wine vat with closed walls throwing up in the air, threshing wheat. Now, the Bible says that he's doing that because he's afraid of the Midianites because the Midianites, every time they harvest, they sweep down amongst the people and steal all their produce and steal their cattle and all that good stuff. So he's doing it, but he's doing it in a way that's not conducive to actually threshing wheat. But God comes in and calls him a mighty warrior. He said, you are a mighty warrior warrior. He didn't show any signs of it. But here's the thing. God was not calling Gideon for what he was. He's calling Gideon for what he could be or what he will be. Aren't you glad God does the same thing with you? God does not call you for who you are. He calls you for what you can be and what you will be. Aren't you, aren't you glad that God does that? That's what he did, did for Gideon. That's what he can do for you. Look how Gideon responded in verse 13. But, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. I'm going to speak humanly here. You know what I think God did? I think he threw up when he heard that. Or maybe just a little bit in his mouth he threw up. It made him sick. He didn't respond to Gideon. Uh, you know, because I think if God would respond, he said, Gideon, Gideon, where have you been? You're in this mess because you got yourself into this mess. I mean, the Bible's clear in chapter 1, uh, chapter 6 of verse 1, it says that they were there because they disobeyed the Lord. It says they were, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Gideon, that's the answer to your question. It's because you did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's why you're here. Notice that God doesn't give him an answer. He kind of rolls his eyes and doesn't give him an answer and moves on. But I think in the midst of him moving on, his wagging his head. I always have this vision of God, okay? Because I make a lot of boneheaded decisions. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody make boneheaded decisions for? Okay, two or three of us. The rest of you are liars, every one of you, okay? We all make boneheaded decisions, okay? But I always think that, God, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm down here and I'm doing something and, and God's up in heaven going, Gabriel, Michael, come here. He's doing it again. He's doing it again. I, it's like I'm the butt of the joke up in heaven, you know? I think this is what was going on. God's wagging his head you know, at Gideon and said, I can't believe he's doing this again. But then God gets very specific with Gideon. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go 
and the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon begins to offer up excuses. Uh, he begins to offer up excuses. In verse 15, he begins to say, Yo, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. And, uh, I'm the least of my family. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, he just goes on and on and on with the same thing. And you may feel the same way. Some God comes to you and says, Hey, I want to do something amazing with your life. Well, how can you use me, God? I don't have a degree from Baylor. I don't even have a degree. You know, God, I, I, I can't speak well. I'm not the most educated. I'm not the brightest light bulb on the Christmas tree. Now, how can you use me, God? How can you do that? And I think, so I think Gideon's response is not unlike our response. I, I think we do the same thing in our lives. But notice how God responds in verse, in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. You notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't build up Gideon's self-esteem. He doesn't give him a good pat on the back. Oh, Gideon, you're so hard on yourself. He doesn't say any of that. You know what he says? He basically said, Gideon, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I will be with you. That's what's important. That's what he tells Gideon in the midst of that. So Gideon wanted proof. Yeah, I don't believe you, God. I want some proof. So Gideon goes in verses 17 through, through 20, uh, 21. He goes and he says, well, let me go in and I'll prepare a meal, basically a sacrifice for you. So he goes in and he spends all this time making his meal and he brings it out and he sets it before uh, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, which is a theophany of God, and it's burning a fire that quick. And then Gideon finally understands what God is doing. God is revealing his power to Gideon. He said, Gideon, this is how powerful I am. And look at how Gideon responds, verses 22 through 24. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Oprah of the Abbey Ezraites. He had a great experience with God. God revealed himself in a powerful way to Gideon. And many times people want to know God. Uh, they, they want to know God in, in, a, in a powerful way. They want to have a powerful experience with him. And when I say powerful experience with God, I mean it, 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 is, it is so powerful that when you come into the presence of God and you recognize who he is and you recognize what he's done, you will see how insignificant and, empower and, and, and completely incapable you are, but you recognize His majesty and His holiness and how potent and how powerful He truly is. And you experience that in a very real way, much like Gideon did. Look at what it says about, about Gideon. It says he cried out, Ah, sovereign Lord. It's a sign of reverent fear. And it's the same thing that was used of Isaiah. Basically, Gideon said, because I've had this experience of God, I'm going to die. God is now going to kill me because I've seen him face to face. I've seen what he looks like and I know what he's about. You may 
say the same thing? Some people say, well, you know, God's never spoke to me like He did Gideon. You're still waiting for God to burn your lunch, to burn your supper. Or maybe you're waiting for a burning bush. Or maybe you're waiting for God to speak from the sun. Or my personal favorite, you're waiting for God to speak through a donkey. How do you know He's not? They said if we could change it for donkey, the real word. But we won't say that one in the presence of little, little ears, okay? Uh, you know what it is. That's what we want. We want God to speak to us in some miraculous way. But listen, some of the most powerful encounters I've had with God, I'm just speaking for me personally, is just opening up a Scripture and reading the Scripture and praying the Scripture and allowing God to speak to me. And believe it or not, some of those powerful experiences I've heard have been through a preached sermon. Normally not mine, but through somebody else. Because, you know, I don't like to listen to my own sermons. But some, through somebody's preached word. Through that moment. Maybe it's a dynamic worship service. And in that moment, you're drawn in the presence of a holy God. And you see yourself before the holiness of God. And you fall on your face and say, I have seen God. I've experienced God in those moments. And after you've done that, you know what happens? There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of calm that comes over you as God calms your, your troubled soul. And He quenches it. And just calms you in that very moment. That's exactly what He did to Gideon. He said, Gideon, you're not going to die. He said, just calm down, Gideon. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to do that. Gideon had a personal experience with God. In that moment, God revealed His will to Gideon. Notice what it was. He built an altar and He called it, The Lord is Peace. The Lord is Peace. He had a personal encounter with God. And because Gideon had a personal and a powerful encounter with God, God revealed His will to him. Did you know that God still speaks today? God still speaks today. He uses His written word, no doubt, no doubt. God will use His written word. That's most of the way that God is going to communicate to you. But God will still speak to you personally. Maybe it's a still small voice. Maybe it's a wise counsel. Maybe it's in the time, time of prayer. But listen, God will speak to you, but then I want you to hear me on this. You've got to hear this. God will never contradict His word. Never. He will never tell you in prayer, in a, in a personal revelation, anything that contradicts His written Word. He will not, He cannot violate Himself. Let me give you an example. This might be relevant in here. You can, tra you can substitute girlfriend or boyfriend, whichever one. Let's suppose that you come to me, and you're, you're a guy, and you come to me, Oh, Pastor, I am so in love with my girlfriend. Oh, she just hung the moon and stars. I know she's not a believer. But God's called me to marry her. You know what I'm going to tell you? And I know you're going to think this is wrong. I said, no, he's not. God will never call you to do something opposite what he says in Scripture. The Bible is clear that believers should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's what it says. And so I will say, you're not hearing from God. You're hearing from your own selfish desires. God will not contradict 
His Word. So, young men, young ladies, if you come to me and say, you know, Pastor, we need, pre, we need, we, we need premarital counseling. You know, my, my, my future husband and my future wife is not a believer. I said, uh, talk to the hand because I ain't listening. Because you're already in violation of God's Word. Now, what I might do is bring them in and try to share, love, share Christ with them. That's just an example. But you cannot expect God to contradict what He's already said in Scripture. God wants us to know Him intimately. He wants us to know Him personally. This is the way Jesus said it. Jesus said, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And my sheep know my voice. And my sheep follow me. That's what He said. He didn't contradict Himself. He said, I want to, because I have an intimate relationship with you, because I have this personal relationship with you, you know what I'm saying to you, and you follow what I want you to do because we have this intimacy. You understand what my will is. You understand what I want you to do. So God wants us to develop an intimate relationship with God. So I'm asking you a question very personally. Are you experiencing God personally? Have you had a personal encounter with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you have, you hear His voice. And you know what He's saying. I think in, we have to train our minds to be attentive to what God is saying. I think many times God is speaking, we're just not listening. We're not listening to Him. I, I think that we have a tendency of, as, as Christians, have ADD or ADHD when it comes to God. God is communicating, but we're not listening to Him. He's speaking very clearly, but we're not hearing what He's saying because we're not paying attention. God is saying, I'm speaking to you, but you're not listening. And more times than not, hear me. I, I know this from personal experience. More times than not, you know the reason why I'm hearing God? Because it doesn't fit our personal agenda. It doesn't fit what we want and our desires. Henry Blackaby said it this way, you experience God. God said, there's only, you say, oh God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? He says, there is no God's will for your life. God's will is for you to be in the center of His will. There's only one will. It's God's will, period. Once you get in the center of God's will, then you know what God's will is. But we won't differ with, God only has one. You know what God's will is? You want me to tell you what? God's will is that people fall on their knees, repent of their sins, and come to Jesus Christ so that they can worship Him forever. That's His will. So how are you being used by God in the center of that will? God's will is that people may glorify Him for all eternity. That's what His will is. So you, you, you've got to be, you can be a deliverer. You can be a deliverer, but you've got to have that personal experience with God through faith in Jesus. Our second truth, are you exalting God publicly? Look at verses 25 and 27 in the passage. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down after the second bull, uh, off of the second bull as a burnt offering. Verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. 
But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. There are many times when you've had this encounter, this experience of God, God says, okay, I want to see if I'm first in your life. I want to see if I'm Lord of your life. And that I have the preeminent reign in your life. Listen, hear me on this. You cannot ask God to reveal Himself and accomplish His will in your life, yet defiantly have strongholds in your life. In other words, you cannot ask God to bless you and use you for His kingdom when you are secretly holding on to simple strongholds in your own life. You can't do it. Uh, it won't work. So Gideon was told exactly what to do. Notice what God told me. He said, Gideon said, God told Gideon, I want you to go. I want you to tell that, tear down the altar to Baal, the Asherah poles that are with it. These are just all the pagan gods. He said, I want you to tear those down. Then I want you to very intentionally build another altar to God. And then I want the, you to take the second bull that your father has. And I want you to sacrifice a burnt offering on that new altar. And I love the sequence. He says, I want you to tear down that which is an abomination, tear down that which is hindering my people. And then I want you to be very deliberate. I want you to gather the stones and I want you to build a really nice altar. This is something that took planning. You couldn't just throw something together. I want you to be very deliberate in doing this. And then I want you to make the sacrifice. In verse 26, he said, make the sacrifice on the very wood that came from the other idols. Symbolic. God is going to consume the idols of the others. And then in verse 26, it said, I want you to build the altar on this height. Literally, it says, I want you to build the altar on this stronghold. This is a, 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 a demonic stronghold. And I want you to build on the very top of that. Isn't that great? Isn't it great what God, God told him to do? Not only tear down the altars that have been raised up against God, but then he is to build an altar to God in the very spot where God had been substituted. And he's make that offering. Let me ask you a question. What altar or idol is God calling you to get rid of because it's a stronghold in your life? What is God asking you as an individual? What is God asking you as a family? What idol or altar do you have in your business? What idol or altar do you have in your family, in your personal life? What idol or altar do we have in the church that God is asking us to get rid of? God wants us to replace it with proper worship of God and exalting Him first and foremost. He is to be exalted above all others, above all people, above all positions, above all powers. He is to be exalted above all. Now, Gideon was scared. It makes sense. Gideon was scared because notice what he did. He got ten of his servants, but he did it at night when nobody would see him. How many times, or how many of us are afraid to do things in public because of what people may think. So we do it in privacy. We do it at night or we do it behind closed doors. 
This is what us. This is what we do. That's what we all do. That's what we all do. And so because we won't do it in public, we won't exalt God in public, you know what we do? We fall back into ritual. We fall back into routine. Because that's what we're comfortable doing. In our personal lives and even in our corporate lives. But I want you to hear me on this, my dear friends. God is raising up a generation of believers. God is raising up a generation of believers that want to exalt Christ and they want to make Him known. In Waco, in Texas, in the United States, they are a generation that needs to be unleashed. They want to do it in the name of God. And it's a shame when fathers and mothers refuse to do what should be done because of fear. Because of fear. May God have mercy on a church when God has to call sons and daughters to stand in the gap and do what their parents are reluctant to do because of traditional or cultural strongholds. God have mercy on us. When we as parents, we won't do what's necessary and we have to rely to our children to do it. And in the meantime, you hear me on this, in the meantime, there's a generation of people out there dying and going to hell because we won't break down the strongholds. But there is a generation that God is raising up and they want to be unleashed. They want to be unleashed to go out and serve God and give Him glory and that He can be exalted in so many ways. They need to be unleashed, not restrained. Not restrained. This is what's going on. Gideon's father should have tore down the altars. He didn't do it. So Gideon now has to do it. That's what's up. So the next morning, the next morning, everybody wakes up and they're, ah, 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 our altars are gone. Our idols are gone. Who did this? Who did this? They start searching around. Finally, they find out it was Gideon and they're going to kill him. How dare he do that? But fortunately, Joash, Gideon's father, stepped up and said, wait a minute. And then he makes a bold statement. He says, anyone that worships Baal will be put to death. Now, he should have said this years ago, but he said that that's exactly what God's Word says. God's Word says that anyone who worships, worships Baal or the gods of this world, they ought to be put to death. That's what it says in the Old Testament. Now, we wouldn't do that in the year 2019, okay? We, would, we have to metaphorically put them to death, okay? This is what God's Word says. I don't make this stuff up. It's right there. Here's the thing. The people were crying out to God to help while at the same time fighting those who were trying to acknowledge their sin and help rid themselves of the very thing God detests. Did you hear me on that? Here they were. Uh, they were crying out, God, God, save us. God, save us. God, help us. And at the same time, they're worshiping the very things that God hates. You can't do that in your own life. You cannot say, God, hear our prayers. God, hear our prayers. Well, you're secretly over here holding on to some idol that God wants you to get rid of. It didn't work that way. God wants to be exalted above all others. All others. I wonder, are you, are you guilty of the same things? Are you harboring those things that keep you from exalting God? 
And, and while you're harboring those things that keep you from exhausting God, you're requesting His assistance and you're correcting and, and you're requesting His directions. And you wonder why God doesn't hear you when you pray. Verse 32, it says that from that day forward, Gideon was, his name was changed to Jerob Baal, which basically means let Baal contend with him. You see what's happened? You see what's happened to Gideon? Gideon has now become a deliverer. He's now went from a wimp to a warrior. He's went from one who was hiding to one now who has conquered those strongholds over the people. Do you want to be a deliverer? Then you've got to exalt Christ first and foremost. He has to have the preeminent place in your life and in your heart so that you can be the deliverer that God has called you to be. One final truth. Are you engaging God persistently? Are you engaging God persistently? Gideon knew what God wanted him to do. But Gideon continually engaged God. He wanted to make sure, God, am I, am I, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I following you? So after the enemy had set up camp in the Jezreel Valley, I want you to notice Gideon's response in verses 34 through 35. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the uh, Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. Okay. Let's walk through this. Let's see if we can understand what's going on here, okay? God has revealed himself to Gideon in a powerful personal experience. He's told Gideon what he was going to do. He's spared Gideon's life when the people wanted to kill him. You know, when Gideon obeyed, they, they wanted to kill him. He's clothed him with his Holy Spirit, and now God has assembled an army to stand with Gideon to go and fight the battle. That's pretty much the scenario. Look at verse 36 and 37. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. Of course, that wasn't good enough. He has to do it again. He said, just change the scenario and, and, and all that stuff. Do you notice the contradictions? If you would do this, if you would do this, if you would do this, then I'll do this, 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 and this. How many times does God have to tell him, I'll be with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, you're a mighty warrior. How many times does God have to tell him what to do? Now, I don't believe we hold Gideon up as an example here. You know, I, I don't think that we need to say, uh, oh, well, Gideon gives us an example. This is the only time in the Bible this happens. But you and I both know we do it, don't we? We lay out the fleece. Uh, well, God, if you'll do this, then I'll know that you're speaking to me. What if God doesn't do that, but he still wants you to do it? You see, uh, that, that's where we get in the, in the trouble. We don't want to hold up Gideon as an example. That is not God's preferred method. But we do want to acknowledge his persistence because he engaged God personally. He engaged God persistently. He didn't want to rely on past experiences. Well, God spoke to me when I was seven years old. That's the last time he spoke to me. 
No, he's engaging God persistently all the time. But God, am I, God, am I doing this right? God, I just want to make sure that I'm hearing you correctly. Uh, God, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. So he's doing that. He didn't want to rely on past experiences to communicate God's Word today. Let me be clear. We are specifically told in the Bible, do not test God. Do not put Him to test. Can I tell you the only time that God allows you to give Him a test? By the way, He'll pass. I just want you all to know that. The only time we are ever asked to put God to the test when He says, bring all the tithe to the storehouse. The only time. And God says, you bring all the tithe to the storehouse. What's a tithe? Ten percent. Ten percent of your income. You make a hundred dollars, it's ten bucks. You make a thousand, it's a hundred dollars. You make ten thousand, may God bless you more. No, it's a thousand, okay? Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Then God, then, you know what God said? Test me in this. Test me in this and see if I will not open up heaven's floodgates and bless you. Bless you. The only time in Scripture he says test us. Why does he do that? Because he knows what your God is. He knows what your God is, and your God is your money. You cannot serve God and money. That's why he says, test me. Show me. Show me that you truly believe me. Believe me. That's the only time in Scripture he wants us to test us. This is what's going on with Gideon. Listen, God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubts. He can handle your fears. He can handle your uncertainties. He's okay with that. It doesn't bother him whatsoever. But here's what I want you to see about Gideon. Even though Gideon had doubts, even though Gideon had some uncertainties, even though Gideon had some fears, and even though he had questions, he was still obedient. In the midst of his doubts, in the midst of his questioning, in the midst of his fears, in the midst of his uncertainties, he was obedient to God. And he just kept going, step at a time, step at a time, and doing it. And what did God do? God extended grace to Gideon. He just kept extending grace. Instead of punishing Gideon for, for not believing him, he just kept administering grace. Why is that? Because God had a purpose for Gideon. And his purpose was to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Midianites. He had a purpose and a plan for Gideon. I'm sure he was timid. I'm sure he was scared. I mean, for goodness sake, the guy was threshing wheat in a wine vat. I'm sure he was very timid and scared. I believe many times God tells us to trust Him to step out in faith and do something so powerful that we look, when we look back, we say, look what God did because there's no way we could have done it. There's no way. And He wants to reveal His hand. He wants to reveal what He can do. And I think so many times God comes to individuals and He says, I've already spoken. I've already spoken. I've already told you what I want to do. You know what we do? We throw out the fleece. We throw out the fleece. I said, okay, I'll test you over here, God. Okay, I'll tell you, oh, that's not good. Let me test you over here. Let me test you over here. 
You know what God says? That's fine. Fine. That's fine. But I'll use somebody else. And you won't get the blessing. I believe that's true of individuals. And you hear me on this, my dear friend. It's true of churches. It's true of churches. God will come to a church and He'll say, I want to use you for my kingdom. I want to use you. I want to use you and I want to accomplish something through you that will be so amazing and so powerful that when it's all said and done, people say, look what God did. Look what God did. And so He sends pastors. He sends preachers to communicate God's Word. To communicate what God wants the church to do. And we rebel. We throw a hissy fit. Well, that can't be what God wants. So we look for the magic pastor. Maybe it'll be the next one. Maybe it'll be the next one. Maybe it'll be the next one. And we go through pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor. And we blame the pastor. And what we need to be doing is blaming ourselves. Maybe the reason we're in this mess to begin with is because we didn't listen to God to begin with. Cycle of judges all over again. And God comes and He speaks His word. He said, I want to use you. I want to use you to do something great. God communicates to His people, His people what He wants. And while we're waiting for signs and wonders, you know what God does? He passes us by. And we'll be looking back and we'll be talking about what woulda, shoulda, coulda. Do you want to be a deliverer? Do you really want God to use you in your school, in your job, in your work, in your work environment, wherever you, wherever you are, in your church? Do you want God to use you as a deliverer? Then you've got to answer those three questions. Do you have a personal? Are you experiencing God personally? Are you experiencing God personally, powerfully? Are you exalting God in your daily life, in your public? Are you engaging with God persistently? Then you're a deliverer. And then it comes back to this. If you're not a deliverer, and you have no intention of being a deliverer, you know what you need to do? You need to go back and ask those three questions again. And you need to ask them, have I had a personal encounter with God through Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you're religious. I made a profession of faith when I was six years old in a Baptist church. It took me 11 years to realize I was religious and not saved. 
And I have a feeling our churches are full of religious people, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never had a personal experience of Jesus. They're not engaging, they're not exalting God, premier, first and foremost. And they're not engaging with Him on a daily basis. That's the way you're going to wind up being a deliverer. God is calling you to be a deliverer. So the only question left, will you do it? Will you do it?